Hello and welcome to HipCast, the podcast from the Australian and New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry to improve hip fracture care. I'm Elizabeth Armstrong and to begin this episode, I would like to acknowledge the Bidjigal and Gadigal people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which the Australian Hip Fracture Registry operates. I acknowledge all traditional custodians and their long and unceded connection and custodianship of place, community and country. I also pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Today, I am delighted to be joined by orthopaedic surgeon, Dr. Richard Kerr, clinical nurse consultant, Lisa Gephardt, and hip fracture nurse, Megan Gilbert from Northeast Health Wangaratta in Victoria, Australia. Welcome everybody and thank you for giving your time today to talk about implementing the hip fracture registry at your hospital. Just to get started, could you each tell the audience about your roles as well as giving some insight into your responsibilities with planning to participate in the registry? Richard, would you like to start the conversation? Sure. I'm Richard Kerr and first of all, I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands that we are on here today. Um, obviously, we're not in the same place. So I'm on the lands of the Bangarang and the Yorta Yorta people and would like to pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging of the lands that we are on, as well as any other Aboriginal people joining us today. So I, well, I'm Richie Kerr. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. Um, I've been an orthopedic surgeon for 15 years in Wangaratta. I'm the clinical director of orthopedics, um, which has to be said is actually a relatively new role. And I wasn't the clinical director of orthopedics when I started this this journey. There actually was no clinical director of orthopaedics, so that's sort of part of the journey as well. I guess it was my idea or it came to my sort of attention uh, and sort of started the seed of the project and therefore, and I'm also the principal investigator, which gets has to sign all the you know, bottom line about it all um, here. Um, all the paperwork. All the paperwork. And obviously, you know, I lead a team of, there's four other orthopaedic surgeons in my unit and two registrars, two residents, two interns um, and obviously a whole surgical ward of nurses and so forth. Okay and just to cut in before Lisa and Megan start, so the clinical director of orthopaedics was newly created. Was that something that was identified as you started to look at invest joining the registry? Well it's sort of two things coming together at once. Um, this project sort of initially when we first tried, yeah, as I said, there was no clinical director. COVID probably pushed the clinical director position more than anything else because it became apparent that running a hospital just with sort of craft group leaders per se was not going to cut it in, in such times. And so then that's sort of how that came about. It's also gave also me a, a good springboard to help push this project along because I had a little bit more sort of sway, I guess. Okay, thanks. And Lisa, what's your yes. role? Um, so I'm currently the clinical nurse consultant for our acute pain service. Um, I've worked here for about 20 years in many different roles and 12 years in my current role as uh, a clinical nurse consultant. I've been involved in uh, the small interdisciplinary group that was developed um, to look at hip fracture care, uh, aiming to improve care of that uh, vulnerable cohort and uh, looking at it from a pain perspective as well as in the broader context of um, hip fracture care. So I've worked alongside Richard uh, to develop a business case um, for the recently appointed um, hip fracture clinical nurse specialist role, which is Megan's role, and assisted with the application to contribute to the uh, registry through our research unit. 
Um, I'm also helping Megan at the moment as data collector for the registry. And um, we've been at that for about eight, uh, just over eight weeks now. Oh, that's great. How's the first eight weeks gone? Oh, excellent. You know, Megan's very, very um, enthusiastic, very passionate about hip fracture care. Um, and uh, we've found, you know, the process really quite smooth and very impressed with the platform. Oh, that's good to hear. And Megan, so you're newly in this role. Can you tell me about your responsibilities um, with your role and the hip fracture registry? So my current role at the moment is that I'm um, data collecting. So obviously going and looking at the patient's histories and then um, collecting data and putting it onto the database. And then also looking at providing education to staff in regards to the pathway and general um, care for patients with hip fractures. So often characteristics of the hospital and the local service provision influence decisions to participate in activities like the hip fracture registry. Richard, um, would you like to share the context in which you were planning to implement the hip fracture registry? So your hospital size and services and your community characteristics might play a, play a role in decision making. Yeah, so I mean, North East South Wangaratta is a, a 200 bed uh, sort of referral centre in North East Victoria, obviously located in Wangaratta. We're about 240 kilometres North East of Melbourne, so it's a reasonable drive to Melbourne. The hospital employs about 1,500 staff and has about 28,000 ED presentations a year. The actual population of Wangaratta is about 25,000 or so, but we draw a catchment of up to 100,000 people. So that means there's obviously a lot of people coming from a long way away um, to come to the hospital. So that's that has particular relevance about discharge planning, obviously, because a lot of people have to go a long way back to get back home. We have about 120 hip fractures a year. So that's obviously a reasonable number. We're obviously not small, we're not massive, but we're just sitting in the, you know, in the sort of in the middle range there. And in terms of the service provision in Wangaratta, we have like a pretty broad range of services for such a hospital. Obviously we have orthopedics and we cover everything in orthopedics, basically from child to geriatric. We have associated community services with that, with physio and OT and social work and all that sort of stuff. We have a particularly, most places have, but a very much an ageing demographic. So there's a lot of people who are getting older and also people who are retiring into this area who are older and going to only get older and older. So the numbers are going to, you know, it's just going to increase all the time. And that's sort of part of the you know, one of the, I guess, driving factors about trying to set up a project like this is that this is an, we've identified that this is an area where we can, A, improve care, and B, also where we're going to need to improve care because the demand is just going to get higher and higher. The other thing that's interesting in Wangaratta is that, like, although we draw patients from a big area, we have a whole series of peripheral smaller hospitals around us, which can provide sort of uh, some levels of uh, sort of step-down care so we have a small rehab unit in the hospital, but we can also send patients to a whole host of other smaller hospitals for sort of smaller step-down care, which is something that's not necessarily available to everybody else, um, but it's something that we have. And we have good relationships with those little hospitals um, and constantly trying to build better and better relationships with them. So, And has that relationship building with those outlying um, step-down sites, has that been part of the process of joining the registry? Well, those things just goes hand in hand with like, you know, we use the smaller hospitals a lot because of bed demand. Um, and so, you know, and obviously, you know, neck and femur fractures take up beds. And so it is, they, they sort of go hand in hand together um, with, it's not just neck and femur fracture patients, a lot of other patients are getting stepped down, medical patients, other orthopedic patients, et cetera. So 
but it is um but it is uh i think and that's probably an area we can work into as well about how we continue the hip fracture pathway into those smaller places but obviously we're eight weeks in it's still early days so things like that are to put into the you know in the future box sometimes it can be hard to see how a site with 120 cases at annually um can find the resources to participate in something like the registry. Lisa, what were your essential first steps to move towards participation? Yeah, I suppose uh, Richard was a huge driver in um, participating in the registry and there was lots of other considerations such as the development of a, a clinical hip fracture pathway. Um, so I suppose prior to COVID, um, we had a small sort of committee that was developed to have a look at hip fracture care and, and the development of a clinical pathway. Uh, we had some change in our sort of governance structure and then sort of COVID come along, this global pandemic, and all of our resources were absorbed into managing um, our preparedness for this sort of global health crisis. So staff were redeployed into lots of different areas and uh, elective surgery was cut back, scaled back, and um, everything seemed to be predominantly COVID focused. So a lot of the small projects in our, our relatively small hospital were, um, you know, put on the the back burner. And uh, and as I said, there was also some change in our our leadership and um, governance structure. So we did com uh, submit a, a um, site specific application back in 2020 um, with the registry. Um, it never really got progressed. It sort of sat there for some time uh, with our research office. Um, it was picked up again towards the end of um, 2021. Uh, and and then it went through the process through our uh, local uh, uh, human research ethics committee and gov uh, research governance officer and was tabled in multiple um, meetings with a research department. Uh, what was determined was uh, that one of the barriers with collecting data uh, was going to relate to responsibility. So to start with, we thought, well, maybe I could pick up, you know, doing the data collection, but my role with the acute pain service um, was demanding enough as it was. Um, so we decided that we should probably develop a, a position description for a clinical nurse specialist to be a hip fracture clinical nurse specialist. And then that role, the data collection, the overseeing of the implementation of the clinical hip fracture pathway and all the education associated with that would rest with one person and be their sole responsibility. Uh, so we we ended up developing the business case, which had these clearly defined roles and responsibilities. And we put that together with a bit of a cost saving analysis, looking at if we were to employ one person uh, one day per week, and if that was able to help reduce length of stay by one day um, per patient, you know, times that by 120 patients a year, it was going to uh, provide some significant costs, cost savings. So uh, that was, I suppose, the, pr the process of where we got to. We had all our research approval um, in May. Um, we advertised for the role that took a, a little bit um, to get up and running. Um, we had lots of uh, job vacancies at the time as well. And uh, I think it was June where it was ratified at our um, Human Research Ethics Committee that um, we were going to participate in the registry. And then uh, Megan had started in the role uh, in August, at the start of August. Okay, so there's some sort of some key key factors there around the business case and clearly defining roles and responsibilities and um, justifying the cost of the new position, which really helped to get 
get your research office over the line. Is that right? I suppose it wasn't so much just the, re- the research office, they were on board with it, but what they wanted to know was like, uh, we can't, uh, we need to know our CEO, our, um, you know, our community advisory committee, we, we're very engaging with our consumers. And um, there was a group of people we needed to say, well, this is how we're going to um, sustain the data collection and it needed to, to essentially sit with someone. Um, as far as convincing anyone, around participating um, to the registry, uh, it was kind of a no-brainer. I think the data that the registry uh, provides with the annual uh, reports, um, what we had collected from our own internal audits together with, uh, as Richard said, the the local uh, data regarding um, our ageing demographic uh, sort of all spoke for itself. Thanks. And Megan, can you tell us how your first eight weeks in the role has gone. You know, if you, did you find any gaps that needed to be, you know, solved or have solutions for them when you first started um, eight weeks ago? So I think eight weeks ago, um, I was slightly naive in the information that was being collected sort of already from the staff um, and I guess the processes that we were going through. And so eight weeks along, sort of within the first couple of weeks, it was quite clear that Um, We certainly have areas that we really need to focus on, Um, certainly from a nursing point of view, that we can really hone in and make sure that we're um, keeping ourselves up to date and making sure that all our documentation is is readily completed to make sure that we're doing everything correctly for the patients. So there's been some... um some places where you're doing some data quality work around making sure that you um, have the documentation so you can find the information to put into the registry and that there's a consistent way that everybody's interpreting what what information is needed? Yes, and in ways of we've already got the, the sort of the data collection ability there and it's just a matter of making sure that we're collecting that data. So are we making sure that our four ATs are getting completed every for every patient? Are we making sure that our MSTs are being completed for every patient? So just making sure that we're highlighting that the already known risk areas and making sure that we're completing our risk assessments. And do you see any um, issues with sustainability of the data collection? No, I, I feel like... Um, the, the data's there and it's just a matter of continually updating and re-reminding and providing education about the needs um, of documentation completion. But no, the, I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have an electronic system that would make my job much easier. Um, but no, we've got the data there. It's just a matter of making sure that it's always completed. And so your role is very much about making sure that everything, you know, having someone responsible to make sure that everything is in place to allow the data be, to be sent to the registry. Correct, yes. Yeah, that's great. Richard, the the implementation of um, the registry at Northeast Health has come at a particularly challenging time. Lisa mentioned that, pe- that staff had been redeployed um, during COVID. How did you manage to prioritise the registry amongst all of the competing demands of the last couple of years with the impact of COVID? So I think the, the key to this whole thing was that, so as we've alluded to, we had a couple of, like we had a little false start at the start where we had a bit of a go. So the second time round, and this most is probably Lisa's doing rather than my doing, I would have to say. 
but it was uh, it was this small sort of small group of senior staff, uh, non medical staff, apart from me, who said, let's take this project and let's push it along. And so there was Lisa, we had a senior physio, a senior OT, a senior dietitian, uh, myself really sort of pushing the whole project along and people who I've worked with sort of my whole time here in Wangaratta, we all trusted each other. And so that uh, meant that we could have sort of relatively ad hoc informal type meetings, which meant that we could sort of just get this thing just slowly ticking through, even despite all the challenges of COVID and, and people having COVID and people not being able to come to work and teams meetings and all the things that everyone's suffered. But we just managed to keep things rolling through. And then with a lot of driving um, by Lisa, who was doing a lot of stuff in the background about the sort of getting the sort of documentation to make sure it works and me spending time trying to work out who is the right person to ask to make sure that a business case progresses, make sure that the uh, site specific, you know, uh, assessment, uh, you know, moves forward, you know, and, and what's the barrier? Who do I ask next? Who's the next person? So that's been a learning process for me about, you know, who do you ask in, this, in an institution about, you know, who makes the decision about these things? And then, you know, you know, oh, I need a business case. How do I do that? Where does, you know, and again, Lisa helped me massively in, in getting that organised and then driving that over the line, you know, and who do I just keep persisting, knocking on their door? Have you done this yet? Have you approved this? Have you advertised that ad? That sort of thing. thing that's really interesting is that there's, there was, so we've got, I don't know how many nursing positions are available in the hospital at the moment, but there's, there's lots, as there is everywhere. We had competition for this job. So that's, uh, to me, that, you know, amazing, you know, like it's, it shows that there's actually, you know, that there's a real interest and a real passion at the, at the sort of, at the nursing level that, um, that they want to improve care and they want to be involved in, in, in the sort of, in this sort of project. So I think that's a real positive for people out there who are going to try and set something up is that, you know, there's people out there who really want to do it and they're in your own institution. Um, so that's a real positive thing to me. That was a massive sort of, you know, boost, I guess, you know, yes, people did apply, there was some competition, you know, we had an interview process, which was, you know, rigorous and, you know, we, it was, yeah, it was, it was good. That's uh, fantastic. It's been, yeah, so that was a really positive experience. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear and good to share with others who are thinking about getting involved um, that, you know, the, the teamwork of a small committed group and that small committed group were senior senior roles um, within each of their areas of expertise, whether it be allied health or orthopaedics or nursing, um, and that high level of trust amongst yeah. team members so that you could all be comfortable um, knowing that others would take on that persistence that was yeah. required. Lisa, I'm just going to finish up with a question for you. Um, to help other sites who are perhaps thinking about joining the hip fracture registry, could you share with us three speed bumps that you encountered and the solutions you found, and then also perhaps three benefits that within your eight weeks of, of putting data into the registry, you've already found, or benefits around the teamwork that has been developed in the lead up to to joining. Yeah, sure. 
Um, I suppose as, as far as speed bumps go, one of the things I think Richard had spoken to was being aware of our, our research governance sort of structure, who to escalate things to, um, what committees these have to go to and in engaging all of our stakeholders. I think initially a couple of years ago, maybe that process wasn't sort of followed. It was sort of like, oh, this might be a good idea. Um, but uh, this time around, we followed um, more of a process. I suppose understanding for other organisations, understanding what that process entails and who, who you need to speak to. I think also just coming out of the uh, site-specific application and, and going through that um, process with the research department was their concern was around, well, who's going to collect this, this data? And so establishing a role and having a clear role and knowing who is going to collect that data is probably um, really important. And if you can't have a standalone role um, like Megan's role, um, that it's clearly um, written into someone's existing position description um, and included as their roles and responsibilities so that it doesn't get lost. Because that was one of our fears was that, um, it, you know, even if I'd started collecting the data initially, what if I got busy with pain management? What if I uh, got seconded to participate in another project? What would happen to the to the um, registry um, role. And I think um, we all sort of decided that we needed a clinician in this role that was um, really engaged, um, worked in that care environment, um, had a real passion for improving care of the hip fracture patient, and that they were essentially a person who was able to lead some change and take the team along with them. And there's lots of barriers. Nurses uh, have been working um, extremely hard over the last couple of years. Another piece of paperwork like the hip fracture pathway was going to be seen as somewhat cumbersome, I think. Um, but Megan um, has been able to, and our, and our interdisciplinary group has been able to demonstrate that this is all about improving care. And what you need to do is bring people along with you with a change and not just implement another piece of paper. And um, that, that you can see clinically significant change and the registry is able to provide that. You know, I think looking at um, the way that we're collecting um, the data at the moment is is uh, quite extraordinary and um, and Megan herself is able to see you know gaps in practice and and this is what this stuff is all about. I suppose the other thing is just making sure like I said about the research governance stuff but also um, engaging uh, all our stakeholders and that includes the community. So Megan and I had done a presentation to our community advisory committee around our um, participation um, information sheet and around um, the hip fracture booklet and also getting some feedback and um, firstly making sure they were aware of the project where we were, we were running, what we were implementing, how we were collecting this data, how we were going to be able to benchmark and the promise that we would come back at a later stage to present that data to them so they could see also as, as a community what we were doing and how we were improving care because, um, you know, uh, I think we've seen so many gaps uh, with our initial audits that we really needed to, to implement something sustainable and um, have a, a person in a role who was able to to take everyone along with them. Well, that sounds like a really tremendous note to finish this HIPcast on today. I'd like to thank each of you for your time 